Well, good morning, everybody. Happy to be here with you all. It sounds like you're all thrilled as well. Perhaps, perhaps you were just up late last night, right? I know I was. For those of you who don't know, the, uh, the final four was yesterday. Uh, that is the semifinals um, of the men's college basketball uh, tournament, the big tournament of the year. For me, uh, I just love basketball. I didn't have a dog in any of the fights. Um, I, just, I just really like to watch basketball, so I was watching a whole lot of basketball. Was I the only one? Was I the only one watching that last night? No? Okay. All right. Appreciate y'all. Um, yeah, they were both genuinely really, really, really good games. Uh, I, I, I didn't have, did anybody have Virginia and Texas Tech in the national championship? Right, you're lying. Um, of course you didn't. Of course you didn't. I did have, let me, let me humble brag for a second. I did have Texas Tech and Michigan State playing each other in the Final Four. I did have that. Uh, I did not have Texas Tech winning that game. I did have Michigan State winning that game, and I did have Michigan State going on to lose to North Carolina. I did have that. I did have that. Um, but either way, even though I'm clearly uh, bracket busted and no possible way for me to win any of the pools that I entered into, uh, Jeff, I still owe you money. Um, I, I am still very excited to watch Monday night's game. Um, I'm very excited to be spending my Monday night watching the national championship, uh, probably with one of my daughters who will inevitably get out of bed when they realize I'm staying up late to watch basketball. Um, and I think if I'm being honest with you, I think I'm most excited uh, to be spending my Monday night watching uh, basketball, right? For those of you who, uh, some of you may know, uh, our Monday nights, it's, it's usually a watch party at our house. That's not unusual. Um, I'm going to regret, I have a feeling, putting myself out there like this. But the watch party that's normally taking place in my house on Monday nights is for this show called The Bachelor, I already regret this. Um, listen, I can't, I can't lie to y'all and act like I don't participate. I can't. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be uh, uh, good of me to, to lie to you. I do genuinely participate, and sometimes I feel terrible for it. Sometimes. But honestly, the show itself is just so interesting to me. It's so interesting. You've got 30 individuals competing for the love and affection of one other individual. And the show is so foul, but it's so interesting. Because for me, like, I love social experiments. I love, like, if you were to be like, yo, let's pick all people of different, like, types and put them in a house, roll cameras, and see what happens, I'd be like, pet, let's go. Like, I love watching stuff like this. The whole show is like driven by this desire for 30 individuals to just feel loved and accepted. It's driven by their fear, ultimately, of being rejected. They're all vying for this one final rose. And every episode, they're vying for like a certain number of roses. And inevitably, somebody's not going to get a rose. And they're going to go home. And they're probably going to cut to like a cry scene. And it's going to be dramatic. But I think what's, what's so interesting to me about the show is the type of people we become when we are driven by our desire to be loved and accepted by other people. 
I think what's so fascinating to me about the show is what happens, the type of person we become, or rather the things we do when we're driven by our fear of rejection. That's where you get the drama. That's where you get the crazy stuff. Because I will do anything to not experience rejection, not one more day in my life. I know nobody here is possibly with me, so I'll just go ahead and get us to our text for the day. If you would, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to go to chapter 27. While you turn there, let me catch you up if you haven't been with us. We're in the middle of this series right now called Famous Last Words. That hence the, the, the bumper video of the last lines of some of our favorite movies. Famous last words, and we're going through the very final things that Jesus is recorded as saying to his people, to humanity, as he hangs on the cross. Week one, we talked about the fact that as they hung him on the cross, he shouts out to his father, first of all, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. The second week, we talked about how Jesus is hanging next to two other criminals who, unlike Jesus, did have actions that warranted them being there, but he looks at one who comes to realize who Jesus is and says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Last week, we talked about while he was hanging on the cross, he looks down at who's near the destruction, and he sees his mother, he sees the apostles, the apostle John, and he sees others. And in that time, he takes time to say, John, this right here, this is your mother. And mom, this is your son. This week, we near the end. As we get into the gospel of Matthew, this is chapter 27. And we're going to scroll all the way down to verse 45. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here on the screen for you. Let's read. It says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus has endured a lot up to this point. He's been unjustly arrested, given a corrupt trial, beaten to all you know where and back, hung on a cross with crowds mocking him, bleeding out hours at this point. Guaranteed without almost any strength left. Surprised he's even getting words out at this point. And in this moment, he lifts himself up just enough. Because odds are the way he was hanging, he probably wasn't able to breathe. He probably wasn't just having casual conversation with those around. He would have had to like lift himself up just a little bit as the nails dig in deeper, as his flesh and his bone tears just a little bit more. And he's able to cry out just enough, my God, why have you abandoned me? 
And I think a lot of times we read this passage or we allow this passage to give us a perception. I would label it a misperception of God. We have this image in our heads at this moment. We have this image in our heads of God literally turning his back on Jesus. We have this image of God that says the sin of the world is so great piled on top of you, my son, that I can't stand to look at you, and so I'm just not gonna. And so the darkness is indicative of him turning his back. That's the picture we get. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but for me, that strikes a different chord with me. For me, that hits on this deep, dark fear that internally I have, and I have a feeling I'm not the only one. This hits on this fear of being abandoned. This pokes right at the nerve of being rejected. And so this image can become problematic because we look, when we look at Jesus and then we look at ourselves, of course we don't compare. I don't know about you, but I certainly have not lived a blameless life. And if an individual who has lived a blameless life can just go ahead and be abandoned by his dad, what hope does an individual like me have? Jesus felt abandoned. So why couldn't I? Why wouldn't I feel abandoned? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Nate touched on it already this morning. Whether you experience hardship or whatever it is, have you felt abandoned by God? Have you ever felt like his back was to you? Have you ever felt like God was just going to go ahead and let you stay right there in that struggle? That he had no invested interest in healing or delivering you? Have you ever felt like maybe it wasn't even all that intentional, but just straight up, God's forgotten about me? Have you ever felt that way? The dangerous thing about this passage out of context, the danger here of casual reading, I know y'all know about the dangers of casual reading. The danger here of this passage out of context, the danger here of casual reading is that we can tend to attribute abandonment to the character of God. And even if it is, even if you're one of those that say, oh, it was just for a moment, that's still incredibly problematic. So then what is he saying? What if... What if, just go with me for a second, what if there's more to it? What if there's more to what Jesus was trying to say? What if, what if this wasn't the only part of Jesus' statement? What if Jesus was unable to finish what he was trying to say? I mean, after all, at this point, he's been up there for a grip. What if he's just unable to finish what he's saying. Or what if, what if, what if Jesus was like, I don't know, like what if he was like given a lyric from a verse of a song or something? You chuckle, but what if, what if he was doing that? What if, what if he was given a lyric that would have been from a recognized song? What if? 
I mean, we do it all the time, right? We do it all the time. Anyone who grew up in an era even close to my era is going to know exactly how to finish this sentence. In West Philadelphia, born and raised, on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Exactly. 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 What if I walk up into your wedding? It's wedding season, y'all. What if I walk up into your wedding, I grab the mic, and in front of everybody, I just say, just a small town girl. I'm saying, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes you don't need to say that much for people, everyone around you to be able to finish completely the rest of your thoughts. Jump with me real quick to the book of Psalms. I want us to read the first verse of chapter 22. This is a psalm, this is a lyric that was written by David a whole, whole, whole long time before Jesus was even born. Y'all feel me? I need you to catch that. Stop looking at whatever you're looking at. I need you to look at me. This was written a long time before Jesus was even born. Before Jesus was ever a physical manifestation man, this was written a long, long time ago by David. Verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Does this sound familiar to anyone else? Are you awake with me this morning? Do you not remember 60 seconds ago when we just read Matthew chapter 27? This psalm written by David would have been quickly recognized by those around the cross. This psalm by David would have been recognized by the bystanders looking at Jesus on the cross, able to hear Jesus by this cross, and it absolutely would have been recognized by those who would have been reading Matthew's account of the gospel. They'd have known this. They'd have said, oh, yeah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, yep, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So if that is true, you can't possibly accept verse 1 of the psalm without the rest of it, right? Come on, somebody's got to come with me. You can't accept verse 1 of the psalm without accepting the rest of it, right? I can't say in West Philadelphia without somebody just, like I just gotta, you know? So what does the rest of the psalm say? Let's get after it. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day, verse 2, I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Verse 3, here's where it's about to turn. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. That doesn't sound familiar to anybody else, right? Keep going. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet... 
Lord, you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Verse 11 is going to start get borderline spooky, right? Do not stay so far from me for trouble is near and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life, whoa, my life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments, y'all, among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. How scary is this? Oh, Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. But, guys, this is where it switches. This is where the flip, the script is flipped. Verse 20, where are we at? 21, 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing your praise. You among your assembled people, praise the Lord, all you who fear him, honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him your reverence and all your descendants of Israel. Verse 24, for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not, let me say it again, he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you, Lord, in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat today and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge Acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him all who are mortal. All whose lives will end in dust. Our children will serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born, and they will hear about everything he has done. This is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Come on. Man, that's quite, that's quite a bit different, isn't it? That's quite a bit different. Jesus is not crying out out of a lack of understanding as to why this is happening to him, Jesus knows exactly why this is happening to him. Jesus is not screaming at his father because he doesn't understand why his father feels so distant. Jesus has the sin of the world. He knows exactly why his father feels so distant. This was not a cry for help. This This, why have you forsaken me, was not a cry for help. This was a cry of victory. Jesus is witnessing to all around that this significant separation between he and his father is not brought on by his own doing. As a matter of fact, there's something big in between us. This isn't done because I did anything. This is done because I'm saving you. That's it. 
This is not a father abandoning his son. This is a God going to the greatest lengths of all time to restore his people. Just as we can't take Psalm 22 verse 1 and forget the rest. We can't take the character of God in heaven having nothing to do with sin and forget about the character of God that's hanging there on that cross. We can't forget that part. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The real image of God is not of a father that will leave you. Let me say that again. The real image of God is not of a father that will leave you. The real image of God is of Jesus who loves us so deeply that he would take on the sin of the world, that he would endure the distortion and the distance of his own internal relationship with his father in a winning effort to claim victory over a a system that has kept us slaves since Genesis chapter 3. Yes, Jesus knows sin is going to bury him. Yes, Jesus knows he's going down in just a few short breaths. But yes, Jesus knows that in just three days, he gets back up, but sin does not. And this is so that everybody that comes to him can be made right. Everybody that comes to him can be made whole. And the only people, the only people God's going to turn his back on are those who first choose to turn their back on him. We all live now in light of the fall. We live in light of broken relationship. We live in light of broken identities. We all have busted up views of ourselves. We have busted up and shoddy views of God. We have messed up views of other people. And these views can lead us to keep ourselves at a distance from those who we perceive can hurt us or to do wild and crazy things to win the approval of the wrong ones. But what Jesus does on the cross, what Jesus does on the cross is he takes the full weight of the human experience, including the feeling of being abandoned by his dad. And Jesus in that moment is not defeated, but declares victory. And he does it so that there is nothing left between us. He does it. So that we can come near and be restored. He does it so that we can come near and experience right relationships. Our relationships can be restored. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I need you to hear what I'm about to say. And I'm going to say it quieter than I said everything else. We are not forgotten. We are not abandoned. Look at the person next to you and say, we are not abandoned. Then look at your other neighbor. Say, we are not abandoned. Now tell them that they're loved. Now tell the other one that they're loved. We are not left here forgotten and abandoned. 
We are held up here, loved and righteous. The question I have for you as we move into response time is what does it look like for you to live without fear of being alone and without fear of abandonment? What does it look like if you went home and you weren't scared of being rejected? What does it look like if you went to school and you weren't scared of being rejected? What does it look like if you went to work and you weren't scared of being rejected? What does it look like for you to have a right relationship with God? What does it look like for you to have a right relationship with the one who created you? With the one that you get to call Father? What does it look like for you to be made right with God? And are you ready? Are you ready to receive that right relationship today? Are you ready to be made right today? Are you ready to no longer feel lost, orphaned, and abandoned, but to be welcome with arms stretched as wide as Jesus is on the cross, to be welcomed home?